How important is an unlived life, the life that we could have lived but chose or happened not to? How much does the longing, wonder, or even grief about such parallel lives affect our real lives? Is an unlived life even worth examining? In his book, Missing Out in Praise of an Unlived Life, psychoanalyst Adam Phillips tries to answer all of these questions. He states that our unlived lives, the lives that we live in fantasy, the wished for lives, are often more important to us than our so-called lived lives. Philip discusses the idea that people often feel a sense of incompleteness or dissatisfaction with their own lives. He suggests that the sense of longing for something different is a fundamental part of human experience. He suggests that fantasies about alternative lives are not necessarily unhealthy, but are instead ways of coping with the inherent limitations of reality and grieving the lives we were not able to live. The author suggests that sometimes not getting what we desire can even be liberating and allow us to embrace and appreciate what we do have. Alternative lives can potentially be not only better, but also worse. And in reality, we don't know how different scenarios would have played out, even if they sound or seem desirable or even perfect to us right now. Celine Song, the director of the film Past Lives, raises similar questions, only in the context of immigration and subtle emotions, the complex feeling of belonging or not belonging to the country you were raised in, the nuanced experience of being loved in different cultures, and the importance of our native language. Nora and Hesang, deeply bonded childhood friends, are torn apart when Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. They briefly reconnect online through Facebook, in their 20s and initiate conversations on Skype. However, this time around too, Nora decides to end their friendship. She chooses to do so out of sense of frustration as their inability to meet in person leaves her unsatisfied and she wants to focus on her life and writing. Finally, after two decades, Hesang and Nora reunite in New York for a week. By the time they meet, both are in their 30s. Nora is a successful writer and is in a loving long-term relationship with Arthur, who is also a fellow writer and who she met at an artist retreat. Before moving from Seoul to Canada, young Nora sits with her homework while chatting with her mom. She mentions Hesang and says, he's manly, I will probably marry him. She says this while her mother is looking at their passports and moving papers. In this scene, the weight of the upcoming change is especially sharp and clear. We can't help but wonder, would Nora have married Hesang if they stayed? Wanting the kids to have a last memory together, Nora and Hesang's moms plan one more playdate for them. Moms sit on a park bench watching the children play. Nora's mom informs Hesang's mom about their impending move to Canada. Hesang's mom, looking puzzled, questions why they would abandon their established careers and life in Seoul to relocate to an unfamiliar country. To this, Nora's mom responds that if you leave something, you also gain something. Once you leave the country you grew up in, especially when you are in your teens or twenties, your mind expands in weird ways and then it's just never the same again. Not necessarily because the place you go to is better than the place you left or more progressive or people there are smarter or kinder or life is easier, but simply because everything you have ever known as a norm, the strong powerful inertia you followed suddenly becomes just one of the ways to live, one of the realities, and not the ultimate one. Leaving your country is almost like leaving a cult or suddenly stepping out of a pervasive spell, but I don't mean it negatively, it's just the same kind of feeling. While you are in a cult or under a spell, 
no matter how much you read about other possibilities or how much you hear about different cultures and ways of living, still your reality is too all-encompassing and familiar and strong and real to be shattered by just information or short-lived alternative experiences. It's as though the cocoon of your everyday life forms a shell around you. You need to live and exist elsewhere for years, simply breathing unfamiliar air, savoring foreign foods, immersing in languages that aren't your own. Only then it becomes even possible to shed this cocoon or weaken the spell of your initial inertia. Once the spell weakens, slowly you turn into this bizarre creature, the mixture, amalgamation of multiple, sometimes polar opposite worlds. And sometimes such experiences can be isolating and lonely, making you feel like you don't really fully belong anywhere. Nora's yearning for a time when life felt simpler is very natural. Her longing to revisit the juncture just before her life broadened and got complicated, and her need to mourn the life she might have led, is entirely understandable. Even her name has changed after leaving Korea, and Hesang is the only person who calls her Neyang the way she was called in childhood. However, despite Nora's deep connection to Korea, the reality is she no longer inhabits that realm. This stands in contrast to Hesang, who remains rooted and embedded in that world. Nora's sentiment towards him is not just about what she left behind, but also encompasses the potential life she relinquished. Even when she speaks of him, she says, I missed him, quickly followed by, I miss Korea. It's as though Hesang personifies not just her past, but also the life she might have led. However, Nora also notices that Hesang's perspectives and views are distinctly Korean. In other words, she's very aware of how differently the two of them actually see the world. But in this context, Arthur is exactly someone who looks at the world similarly to Nora. While at the first glance, viewers might find themselves rooting for Nora and Hesang to reunite, it's actually Arthur, Nora's husband, who truly resonates with her and understands her. Setting aside personal feelings and insecurities, Arthur never lets his ego interfere with Nora's desire to reconnect with Hesang. He understands that more than a romantic exploration, this reunion represents Nora's link to her past and roots. Arthur recognizes the complicated nature of this connection and gives Nora the space she needs to navigate it, free from external pressures. Even when faced with doubt, fear, or insecurity, Arthur prioritizes Nora's needs and emotional well-being and stays vulnerable with her, shares his feelings and fears and doubts, showcasing the depth of his love and support. Their love might not be as dramatic as Nora's history with Hesang, but it is grounded in mutual care, understanding, and reality. Nora knows this and appreciates him. However, we as viewers miss these nuances because we root for a fantasy, an exciting love story. But the reality is, Nora cannot fully return or get back to Hesang, just as she cannot entirely return to Korea. She could, in a physical sense, return to Hesang or even return to Korea, but the emotional and spiritual reconnection she yearns for is something different and perhaps unreachable. The impossibility of their reunion almost mirrors the impossibility of Nora truly returning to Korea. Through Hesang, Nora seems to be processing, grieving, and ultimately accepting the loss of her alternative life. Life is a series of choices, and while we may ponder the what-ifs, like not emigrating, staying with a high school love, or pursuing a different career, each decision shapes our identity and the life we come to know. It's essential to honor and recognize the path we've chosen, even as we mourn the alternative lives left unexplored. While of course we can always strive for change and growth, some past decisions, like Nora's, set a course 
that simply can't be reversed. It's essential to recognize and respect those choices, mourn the alternative path not taken, and step forward. After all, you can't exchange the past for present and hope it works. Milan Kundera beautifully captures this sentiment in his book, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. He writes, we can never know what you want because living only one life, we can neither compare it with our previous lives nor perfect it in our lives to come. There is no means of testing which decision is better because there is no basis for comparison. We leave everything as it comes, without warning, like an actor going on cold. And what can life be worth if the first rehearsal for life is life itself.